Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. So welcome everybody um, to a new episode of the Thrive Podcast. Today I have um, a very special young lady with me. Her name is Oriana Perez and um, I'm very happy to have her on the episode today because when I met her in Miami just a couple of months ago, um, I was really moved by her story because already at like uh, quite a young age, she overcame so many challenges, like really, um, you know, life-changing experiences that I feel um, even if we had to go through them as like adults, like, you know, uh, would be already very difficult. And when I heard her story, I was uh, so eager to share it with you because I feel we all can learn something from it. So welcome, Mariana. <laughs> How are you? Hello. Great. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here and to be hearing all those nice things that just made me uh, blush a little bit. But thank you. I appreciate it. I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> no, of course. Um <laughs> I think, um, you know, the the greatest, uh, I feel like oftentimes we underestimate all the things that we can actually, or that we already have accomplished in our lives. And really, when I talked to you in, in February, I was like, wow, it's like, I, I, I don't know how, would, how I would have handled this situation. And when I talked to you, you had like so much, you know, confidence and ease and, um, you know, that I, I just admired that about you. And so let's just dive right into it and like take people or let people actually know, you know, what, what it is <laughs> that, you actually that we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's not keep it a secret anymore. Um, but um, you actually are a cancer survivor. So congratulations, really. I feel Thank like this you. is really <laughs> Thank amazing. Thank you so much. I've had some cause, cases in my family, and uh, I know what tough of a uh, you know, battle it is. <clears throat> so um, why don't you tell us, actually, like, um, when did that actually happen? What kind of cancer did you have? And, um, you know, what was kind of the, the situation? How did you learn about it? So, uh, I'm from Venezuela. Yeah. I grew up my whole life in Venezuela, and I think I had, like, a very normal yet special way, because I consider I had so many special things. I'm just saying normal in, ten in terms that my life just went through as smooth and happily as possible. I, you know, I'm an only child. I didn't have siblings uh, because my mom couldn't have kids. She actually... That's another part of my story. Yeah. <laughs> um, my second, my second, my middle name is Milagros, which means miracle because my mom got her menopause when she was 30. Oh, wow. So after that, she went through all the treatments possible until they said, you know, it's impossible for you to have kids. Um, and she was going to be one of the first egg donations in Venezuela at the time. So pretty much over 30 years ago. Um, you know, she went through the process. First, one cousin was going to give her an egg. She back down than her best friend and she got pregnant this whole process finally they well something happened with her first doctor that they weren't happy so they switched and then when they go to the console my dad stays outside and he says that he hears she's she's screaming and he's like oh my god what is this guy telling her <laughs> what is going on and uh, the doctor was saying i don't know why you're here you're pregnant Wow. So that's how I came <laughs> into the world. Yes, uh, that that was my first story, and she would always um, offer a sacrifice to Virgen de la Milagrosa, so the, what we call Miracle Virgin. Because yeah. they also told her that you know, 
it was a good chance that I was going to have Down syndrome, mm -hmm. um, that you should have the test. Um, but my mom said, you know, I'll love her no matter what, and she'll be perfect no matter what. So uh, I came into the world, and that's why I didn't have any siblings. Not because they didn't want to, because my mom loves kids. <laughs> you probably would have, like, many. <laughs> yeah, many, many fewer up to her. But, um, well, that allowed me, that allowed it to have them all to myself, my amazing parents. Um, and I went through school. Uh, in Venezuela, it's normal for you to go to school from when you're three years old until you graduate from high school. It's not like at least here in the U.S. where you go to elementary, middle, and high school. So, you know, I was a happy kid. I would dance. I was in dance classes. Uh, never smoked. Never did drugs. Eat pretty healthy. I'm not a sweets person. You know, just... And then one day I started... I was 17. And I started getting some back pains. But I had... We had a competition with my, you know, dance class. Mm -hmm. So I just thought, you know, something muscular. Eventually, I did start seeing something in my back. It was on my lower left side of my back. And it, it would even kind of stick out. But I just thought it's a muscle that got, like, contracted or something. Because you really don't think about it. And that, thing is my uh, first lesson to tell people, like, always listen to your body. Like, it's not a thing of exaggerating. Do not. It's not like you're going to be tripped out at anything you see but if you see something if you feel something if like our body knows and we just have to learn to listen to it and not ignoring yeah not ignoring the case the things because i was for example i'm too busy i have an exam i was always like very focused in school no mom i can't go to the doctor so eventually i went to my traumatologist because you know it was a muscular thing <laughs> and they said that it could be a Lipoma, I don't know how to say in English, just a, a thing that it's like fat that just gets together mm -hmm. and you pretty much have surgery and that's it. So then we went to get an MRI and the anesthesiologist was a friend of ours, or not an old neighbor, and he said, you know, I don't like it because this and that. So they sent me immediately. Well, my dad tells me because I love my dad and he's the best for all emergencies and <laughs> handyman and cars. But put him to say something about health and he's a little rough on the edge. <laughs> so it's like, we need to go immediately to this hospital because it might be a tumor. But at that point, I knew that tumors could be something that you just took out, whatever. Mm. And I didn't even know what I didn't tell. I feel it's something about cancer and when you hear tumor, you know it's something serious, you know it's something that, but you don't really have an idea of what it entails. Yeah. Right. So uh, they did a puncture, it didn't came out the results, so they had to do an actual biopsy the day of my mom's birthday. I remember I went into surgery. Um, 20 days passed after that where I didn't know what was happening. My parents actually, you know, met with different doctors. I was going to school and nothing had happened. And then eventually they took me to the doctor because they got the results of the biopsy that, thank God, at first was something that was much worse and it turned out to be something that wasn't, uh, you know, easy or an easy mm -hmm. thing, but it's still not as bad as a, of a diagnosis. So they took me to this doctor who is a... Uh, Uh, pediatrics oncologist so at that point I was still 17 technically I was a kid um, and he starts talking to me about it and then I really wasn't aware of anything what was going on until he actually said so you're gonna lose your hair and I think that's when it actually hit me of the seriousness of the thing mm -hmm. it sounds kind of superficial to something or not but it's just that you know I was also 17 and yeah. it was more that the fact of you tend to associate you know somebody with no hair because of cancer that something actually bad is going on and also maybe it's I don't know but I, I would feel like it's like for a young teenage girl or still like very young teenage girl it's like you know we we all focus so much on how we look right and uh that's like the most tangible thing because what's going on inside your body I imagine like you know not tangible you can maybe imagine it but it's not like real but if you look if you imagine yourself without hair standing in front of the mirror that's like a hard picture yeah. right to take in 
exactly so i think that was the point where i realized okay this is more serious than i think and you know he went over to the treatment i was gonna have to do i don't remember the exact number now how many cycles it was but each cycle had what we call the long chemo and the short chemos mm -hmm. to one long and two short it was every monday so pretty much uh we go into the first chemo and my mom and i had no idea what we're going into like we went they told us to bring a blanket and some entertainments and you know i had no idea i was going i was in my uniform you know right out of school and but, so what 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 type of uh, cancer did they actually diagnose all oh, right so it's a rhabdomyosarcoma it's a sarcoma Mm -hmm. uh, it's a type of cancer that is common in kids and it develops in muscles, different muscles mm -hmm. of your body. It can be on any. So mine was just on the lower part of the muscle mm -hmm. of the back. Yeah. Thank God it, it was it was close to the kidneys, but it hadn't really gotten it. It wasn't on an actual organ. Mm -hmm. So that made it a lot better. Yeah. And then chemo is pretty much, you know, a medicine that they put in your bloodstream. Like they would put... Uh, selling like whenever you get yeah. hospitalized and they just put you antibiotics or whatever so it looks pretty normal but pretty much what it is is it's venom like because you're trying to kill the bad cells the thing is that the chemo doesn't recognize what are good and what are bad cells that's why you lose your hair because mm -hmm. it attacks the cells that reproduce daily it which is what happens everything. in a tuber mm -hmm. so it attacks everything So what I can say is, well, after the first time, then I learned what chemo was. Mine was pretty tough. Like I would, uh, there was one medicine that at a point they would put on me that I was just starting to feel bad. And it was the nausea, the vomiting, and just this whole sensation of your body that you can't really explain. And I would spend pretty much the five first days of the week in bed, like mm -hmm. trying to, um, I couldn't see the light of the day because it would hurt, like just pretty much laying dead. I don't want to get into detail, but feeling yeah. pretty bad. Um, and then the set, yeah, and go ahead. I'm curious, like, I mean, you, from from what it sounds like, what, when the doctor told you, it was more like, let's say, a blur experience. It was like, hey. just like you see him, I don't know, that's like how I imagine you just see him talk something, but it's just like blah, blah, blah. Until the moment when he said, like, her, your hair falls out. And then, I mean, like, what was it like for you and your and your parents? Like, what was your approach to it? Like, what was going through your head, really, when you realized, like, shit, this can't be, like, really something, you know, this is something really serious. Like, what what happened there in that moment? What did you decide, like, to it, for you, what was your decision about it? I think because I had no idea what I was going to face because I had no idea what chemo was. The thing about cancer is what you were saying. At least in my type of cancer, yeah, I had some pain, but I was going on with my life. Mm. Here was a thing where the medicine was worse than the actual disease. Like, mm. I could live my life until that point with what I had, but... I was going on so I pretty much for me was like a no-brainer it wasn't like okay do you want to do this or do you not like for me it's like okay we have to deal with it we have to fight it like I have to go through a treatment I have no idea what it is but I have to do it like I really never felt that moment where okay do I want to fight this or do I not it wasn't really for me I don't know if it was the age and if it was because I had no idea what I was facing mm -hmm. that it was just go with the flow you Let's know do it Let's do it. You tell me now, and of course, I have a whole other <laughs> perception of, course, of it. Yeah. But yeah, at that point, it was that we got to do what we got to do. And that's what we did. You know, we went to my first chemo, not knowing what it was going to happen. And with the hair, like, they told me, oh, it's going to fall after the two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a friend's party. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, after my friend's party, which I'll was hoping I was going to be able to go I'll have my hair and then later on I'll donate it and then get my wig and everything but not only the first week the second week which is when all of your values go down like your blood and your red count like all those other cells that get affected I was also in bed for like the five days mm -hmm. and with fever and everything 
And then the day of the party, I get up and I'm like, I want to go to the party. So my mom puts me in the tub and she tries to start combing my hair. But because I had been in bed for so long, like it was so not. And then also that I think that was for me a, a very tough image because I remember being in the tub and because I wasn't mentally prepared because I didn't think it was going to happen yet. And I just kept seeing like my hair just fall out. And my mom telling me, you know, I got to cut it. I got to cut it. So there I lost like a lot of it. And my mom called my my friend's mom and they had this whole team, you know, getting her ready, whatever. And she's like, you know, bring her here. Uh, and I went and with the little hair I had left, because we didn't have a time to go get a wig. They put me like a fa fake ponytail. And I went to my party with the dress that an aunt who is a great designer hat made for me and I danced into 5 a.m. Wow. So I didn't with my little hair that I had left, but I was able to make it. Uh, and that's something that I feel is so important because your mind controls your body. So I was in bed like feeling the worst earlier that morning, but I knew I wanted to go to the party. Mm -hmm. um, and I did and I enjoyed it to the best. And well, after that, then that's when I went with my friends and tried on the wigs and see how redheaded it was on me and this. <laughs> um, and actually, when I'm blonde, I'm a brunette, mm -hmm. but because you're not able to get sun when you're in chemo because your skin can get all uh, stained. Yeah. Uh, I was like, with my hair, I looked like the one from the Adams family, Leticia. Um, I don't know why her name was. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, let's let's switch it up a bit and give a little light to it. So I went blonde. Okay. And and then I would keep changing just uh, pretty much wigs every three months. I was never able to go out without a wig. And I actually lost not only my hair, it was every hair on my body, like my eyebrows, my eyelashes. I would work fake eyelashes, you know, paint my eyebrows and everything. Because... Also, the age was difficult. Like, I feel like if I went through it right now, it would be different. But not only because of you, people around you are very mature. You're going through something that they have no idea about. And I have some experiences, but thank God I didn't really care about people looking at me or talking to me. Like, I would get to a place and, like, everybody would turn around to me. Mm -hmm. And I knew what they were, why it was. Yeah. It's not because my dress was very pretty. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really get upset about that or um, self-conscious about yeah. it, which I think helped me to, in a way, keep going with my life, although I was going through that. What were you actually like focusing on back then? So um, I, would, I wouldn't have time to go that much to school. I would feel very bad. So I would go whenever I could. Um, and something that gave me... it's. My parents, and I have an aunt who for me is also like a mom. I have many moms of life. I have my mom, and then I have, I've been blessed with many other moms and aunts that life has given me. And, you know, they were thinking, like, do we take her on a trip to give her, like, a little something to look forward to? Uh, and then decided uh, I wanted to do a party. I was going to turn 18 years old. Well, I turned it when I was um, in chemo. So... Uh, they decided to do a party. So that gave me a little bit, like, looking forward to it, like, to make it to my party and how do I want to do it and what do I want to put in it. Like, you know, that just gave me a little point of focus that was out of this. So that was something that helped me. And I don't know if I'm very religious, mm -hmm. so uh, that is something that helped me a lot. I never felt... Like, oh, God, what is this happening to me? Like, what did I do to deserve this? Or I was actually, I think it was God himself just giving me the ease to it. I never thought, like, I was going to die. That I never did, as bad as it got. Um, and also, I was able to realize how blessed I was. Like, yes, I was going through that. But I had an insurance. I had parents and a whole bunch of family and friends who were dedicated to me like I met great people that we'll talk about later <laughs> um, like 
I actually was able to realize that between all that difficult time, I still had so much good going on. Wow. So that always gave me like ease. Mm-hmm. I think the only point I remember, somebody told my mom, don't get, you know, surprised if one day she says she doesn't want to do it anymore. Like I went through the surgery, I went through radiotherapy, more chemo, and like it was a whole year of just feeling bad and stuff. And one day we were online to get on the elevator of the hospital and I told her, I don't want to do this anymore. But she hugged me and we got on the elevator. <laughs> and then I went on my chair and got my chemo. And that was it. That was the only time that I kind of said, I don't want to do it. Like, I would, you know, obviously complain and feel bad and everything. That was the only moment. But it lasted me a few seconds because there I was in the chair getting the chemo right after. Um, that was the only time I can tell you that, oh, I, you know, said something, I'm done. And what helped you pull through that moment? I don't know. I don't even... I think it was just like a moment of weakness, but in my inside, I knew I was going to keep going with it. Like I wasn't ready to not live. Like I, my dreams were there. I was so young. Like I just knew I had to keep going. Like it wasn't, it was just like, there's no other option for me than to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did and everything worked out great. That's that's awesome, really. That's why I'm, I was saying, like, congratulations, and, you know, it's such an inspiring story. So, like, how long has this whole treatment been going on? Like, how long did it take you to get to the point where they were able to tell you, you know, congratulations, you, you've made it? So, the good thing is that after the three months of chemo, my tumor, which made it all the way to... 11 and 13 inches, like it was big. That's why they couldn't do surgery immediately because they needed to shrink it a little bit with the chemo. Yeah, (laughs) right. It was like a little sausage (laughs) because it was long. (laughs) Um, So they did chemo first and then it was when they took it out and then they did the radio and more chemo. And then my doctor, my doctor always told me, even if your tumor, tumor disappears tomorrow, you still have to go through the whole treatment because if not it'll just come back like with Mm -hmm. this type of tumor this is the type of treatment that you need to go through and not only the basic things like there's something called brachytherapia Uh, I'll have to find a way to translate that but it's pretty much like a direct radiotherapy Mm -hmm. so radiotherapy is a laser you really that's the best thing you really don't feel anything unless you have something on your face where you're you know you're Sorry, I'm having trouble. I don't know this uh, medical word. So your mucosa start drying. Mm. Right. So then you start bleeding more. Besides from that, it's just a laser that you don't even feel. So Mm. radio was great. And then there's also something, um, but there's a limit to what you can take and the risk, of course. But in terms of pain or feeling bad. And then the other one is something that it's a direct radiotherapy, which they use normally for like ovarian cancer. And because, you know, they actually put a machine in and and you know the the balls kind of go around so in Venezuela we had amazing doctors I had the best team and treatment and they invented this thing about putting imagine like three um to drink a soda uh straws yeah right and like they tied them on the edges to my skin and they would pass the balls through there to actually gain me like inside radiotherapy and that was something that they invented for my case at that point which was pretty amazing um so yeah technically the treatment was a little over a year because we had like the time when i was getting radiotherapy i couldn't get chemo and then we had a little time that they let me come to the u.s as a vacation i think like two weeks uh because i needed like a little break um we were able to do it so it was pretty much a little over a year of the whole treatment and so when you were done, like, or during that journey, like, especially, like, going from 17 to 18 years old, like, how has this affected, like, your perspective on life? On everything, and although it might sound cheesy, because you hear it, like, 
it's true when you go through something like this you just realize and you just become a lot more grateful about everything mm -hmm. and like you realize that there's so much more important things in life and i'm not saying that you're not gonna cry if something bad at work happens i still do now or you know like it's not a matter of you not being affected by the little things mm -hmm. but i feel and what i say is not letting that keep going or take you away from realizing the other things that you have like i learned again that life is beautiful and that i was so grateful and i was even more grateful now for my parents for my family for my religion for just the life that i had the fact that i could get my wigs that you just learn to look everything with so much beauty mm -hmm. and the fact that i was able to one day go out and laugh and dance when i was you know in bed for a week you start appreciating the little things and that it's not just i'm Saying. not making it up to sad to make it sound pretty it's just the way it is because when you go through something like that where again i was in bed i couldn't live like what my regular friends were living like you know going out meeting people partying I remember there's this show I used to watch mm -hmm. and that's also that taught me something, the power of movies and TVs and um, when there still exists their blockbuster, mm -hmm. a long time ago when you <laughs> still go to rent movies <laughs> and not pay it on Netflix on the, uh, online, my mom was like, there's this show about, you know, kids, I see kids on the, it says something about a tree. I'm like, whatever, just bring it. Mm -hmm. It's a show called One Tree Hill. And pretty much oh, I loved it. Kid, you know, and I love it too. It's the best. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, but pretty much what it was were kids going through high school, right? Yeah. So in a way, I was getting to live through them what I wasn't living in my life for a little time. Yeah. So that helped me a lot. I was able to get away just going to their lives and the TV and that would entertain me and like give me, you know, happiness and hope to me do that, you know, later on. Um, I was going somewhere with this when you asked me a question. Yeah, what was it? How that, how that affected like your, your oh, right. viewpoint on life. Right. Right. So then not only the way I see life, but even my, uh, preferences mm -hmm. my whole life i was always all about numbers mm -hmm. numbers numbers math chemistry like you know two plus two is four there's no fighting it perfect after uh when i was sick actually was a time where i had to be applying for colleges mm -hmm. and I, i always thought i wanted to be an engineer and when my mom was saying me okay i'll go to the college to you know set you up to then later on the test i'm like i can't do it She's like, what? I'm like, I don't feel like I don't want to work to just make money for a company or just not. No, I don't want to take away the importance of an engineer. Just saying that I just wasn't finding the the drive in it mm -hmm. anymore. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything with numbers. Like two plus two is four. That can, a machine can do it. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I want to do something more with people. Mm -hmm. And I learned about the power of communication, not only because of the situation that Venezuela was going through, where we were getting like, uh, you know, our media and everything was getting controlled by the government more and more. Uh, also, because of my friend who I, t I was receiving chemo with, I kept thinking like, if people knew her story, they would help her. Mm. But how can I get that out? It's because if I'm in the media. So that's when I decided to go and do social communications mm -hmm. to became to become a journalist. So my and then I was like, whenever we had that math or whatever it was called class, I'm like, oh my god, I'm dying! Like this is so <laughs> stupid. Like it was just like a hundred and eighty degree change, like completely. So it wasn't only my take on life; it was even like my path, my yeah. professional, my everything. Um, my parents thought, whatever, we'll do it. She'll be there for a year and she'll then switch. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. It actually really became my passion. Um, <laughs> But this is so awesome because, you know, I feel like sometimes people mistake like um, being good at something and really liking what you do because those are two very different things. Like, like you said, you can be like a super genius at mathematics, but 
when you when you think about doing it like every day all year for all your life and you're feeling like <laughs> yeah i can do it but you know will it make me happy i don't think so right. uh, it's very different than you know like you said having like having the spark when you feel like you can actually help somebody by bringing their story like public um there's a totally different energy to it exactly for sure and and i'm very happy then that so that's when it's so funny because i remember when i posted a picture uh for my 10 year anniversary which mm -hmm. was last year um that i was free of cancer i always say that cancer is a thing i pray every day to not go through again mm -hmm. and yet it's a thing i would never take away mm -hmm. like i wouldn't erase it like that was obviously an unwelcomed guest in my body and yet it like taught me so much and gave me so much that another thing that you hear around you tend to hear is that from every bad experience something good can come out of it Because not only did it give me my professional path, like it definitely changed the way I see life, the way I want to live life. Um, and that's with not only cancer, with anything that you go through that it's hard, there's always something good you can get out of it. Mm -hmm. You might not see it at the moment. It tends to be hard when you're going through it. But once you overcome it, if you really put yourself into it and you open your mind and your heart to what is going on around you, you can always get something good at it. And What do you think uh, was the gift that you got from actually having cancer? Well, one, my profession, because I was never thinking I was going to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. And two, I think just my take and my positiveness positiveness in life like I again I it's not that I don't cry it's not that I get on get upset about the little things but I always think to myself I don't have the uh the option to keep being sad mm. like I just I keep thinking how blessed I am that I was able to overcome this and that so many people go through so many other different things that, you know, I understand that things that are going to me are going to be sad, but then I think about them and I just think that I'm so lucky that I overcame it and so many people can that it's like I don't have the right to be sad. That's what I always think. Like, I just get sad, but then keep going. Like smile to life whenever you think that something bad is going or i feel i'm always thinking okay but i have a health i have my family i have a job i have like whenever and it's something i can tell people whenever you feel like things are going so bad and you're going mm -hmm. through that then turn around and just look at it and be like okay but well, what are the good things that are that i have yeah. and i can assure you that most of the time it will be way more than the bad and that if you focus on that it can definitely give you the strength that you need. Like, you might be going through this, but you have a kid. Like, mm -hmm. what can give you more drive than that? So then just focus on those good things that motivate you, and that will help you then to overcome the bad one. That's beautiful. I think that's the best lesson that I can have. <laughs> yeah, and it's so true. We tend to focus so much on the negative things, and we forget about everything that we already actually have. Like, sometimes... Mm -hmm. We're, we get pissed off for, I don't know, let's say if we have a car or somebody bumps into our car or we lose something and then you should be thinking like, and that's why I also was so curious about your story. If you, and I would like to get into just a little detail there. Like if I look at the situation in Venezuela right now, if you, if you would be worrying about, you know, your car being scratched or, you know, something broken, it would be like ridiculous, I imagine. Like... People are like literally, you know, fighting to stay alive or have food on the table. And we're sometimes like, you know, f so far off that we forget those good things that we have. Right. Mm 
And so that's something like I'm curious about. Like when you got your treatment and you said like you really had the best doctors and everything, um, how can people or how can we imagine the situation to be in Venezuela like um, 10 years ago, 12 years ago from what we now just see on the TV, you know? Yeah, it's completely different. Whenever I went through it, things were starting to get bad, at least, well, they had been going bad in politically, economically, but in terms of the health, it was decreasing every time more. And even my my doctor was actually the representative of the San Jude Hospital in Venezuela. So he told my parents, do you want to send her there? And she wouldn't have to pay a thing. And they were like, what do you recommend? So I said, well, if you have the, the means to pay, here she'll be with her whole family, with her friends in her environment. There she'll be by herself, maybe with her mom. So it's always good to have a support system. And then at that point, there was definitely like medicines that you couldn't find. Like there were things that they needed to inject me with to bring my levels up that we had to bring from Canada and from the U.S. Mm -hmm. So it was starting to get bad. But I was able to have a treatment, like I said, the best doctor over there. The radiotherapy, one the machine I used was one of the best. And there was only seven in all Latin America. Mm. And one was there at the hospital that I was getting treated. So what I went through to the, I, don't, I can't even call it a disaster. I think it's just, I mean, that just breaks my heart. Because mm. if I, what I went through is hard enough. Like I said, I had all the means. I knew I was getting the treatment. I knew how the family. Imagine you having a kid and you know that they need to get this treatment and there's no light in the hospital. There's no light, water in the hospital. There isn't the medicine. So, like, if it's hard enough to fight it with everything that yeah, you need, please, yeah. imagine knowing that you have it and you can't fight it because you can't even get the let's call it the weapons that you need to fight it. So, I mean, especially this past month, if people have heard about it, you know, the blackouts of the been in Venezuela, like there's people who have died a simple from dialysis because they couldn't make it to the hospital to get the dialysis that they needed for that week. Mm. So the situation right now is just heartbreaking because more than people, yes, that are suffering because it's not just not having light because you can't watch Netflix at night. <laughs> it's, imagine, and nothing that, that bothers, you know, not having air conditioning, like those are, you know, come up. Luxury, uh, yeah. Luxury that we get used to it and it's normal. I'm not saying no, but like in Venezuela has gotten so bad that it's that. It's just that you don't have the medicine. Now people are not getting water because the other two don't have the energy to make it there. And, it's rough like that's i mean if they were bad five years ago obviously currently mm -hmm. right now it's just an extreme and and it's that it's heartbreaking because i know it's already hard enough and to know that people can't even give the treatment it just blows my mind like yeah so and i think that's like uh that brings us also to um to the other topic that I found so amazing about you um, because you and a friend um, are running a foundation together to actually uh, help not only kids with the same, let's say, with the same health challenges, but also um, especially kids in Venezuela. And... Um, You somehow got into, let's say, your you called it you called it your cause, uh, that you really you know uh, pursue with passion. Um, you got to it by accident, somehow. Like it was not right. something that you, let's say, you chose or you were looking for, but actually it, it found you, right? So how yeah. did this 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 whole um, journey of the foundation actually start and? How did it? How did your calling call you? <laughs> Let's put it like this. Right, right. So you know when you asked me about the things that had given me cancer, I forgot to mention what was that. Like yeah. not only the people I met, but the fact that I it gave me a cause to fight for and even a foundation to try to help with. Um, so when I was in chemo, I I used to have sitting next to me uh, a girl who was exactly my age. 
my same last name, by the way. <laughs> and she had my same, yeah. Wow. And she had my same tumor, uh, but hers was like on the throat area. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot more delicate. So she fought eight years against wow. the, the disease. Like it would come and go, come and go. Um, with her, like you couldn't do that much radiotherapy because you had the vocal cords. Like it was just a whole other level. She, you know, didn't have that many means to to get the treatment. And also after eight years, you can imagine. So she sometimes even couldn't go to the private clinic. She would go to the hospital to get treated and everything. And this started as a movement to help her, to mm-hmm. raise money, to help her. It's called Ser Fuerte es Mi Destino. So being strong is my destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people would do like, things to raise money for her and it was actually one foundation who gave her the money to finally get the surgery where they had to take out her uh, vocal cords and everything um to be able to you know be alive and that is if you think my story is any type of inspiring like she is a role model to anyone like she was a journalist just like me and she lost hope vocal cords like and I've never met somebody happier and more driven and never complaining and you know it's just amazing so once she got out of it and she was able to get out of the surgery um she realized that obviously she wanted to give back some what she had received Mm -hmm. so she uh, got people together who one way or another had been touched by cancer. Mm-hmm. And the one that was also went through it was me. And she always wanted like the two heads of the foundation to actually, you know, be people who knew what we were fighting for. So she legalized it and create the actual foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really were kids with no experience. Like I was 20 years old trying to help with that foundation that we had no idea what to do. So we started you know, little by little. First, it was from friends and family getting gifts, and then we would take them to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Then we started realizing, we started calling, like, okay, let's bring, let's see who can give us food and who can give us entertainment and who can give us this. And we would make parties for the kids because we have, like, the two branches of help that we want to give. One, it's all obvious, obviously paying for things and, mm-hmm. um, you know, test surgeries, whatever, but also giving a little of that happiness and mm-hmm. that can give hope and drive to those kids. Cause it was like, you were asking me, what kept you going? Like, especially when you're going through something that young, I feel like you, you need those moments to remember to be happy and what it is that it's nice in life to keep wanting to fight for that. Actually, so actually, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, um, sorry for interrupting, but no, especially like giving or for kids having this this experience when from your experience with the foundation and your experience like from personal life, what do you think is really missing to make this, let's say, journey of uh, you know fighting this cancer? Uh, from a kid's perspective, what is what is missing in the medical treatment that they receive, regardless whether it's uh, maybe in Venezuela or 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 in the U.S. or somewhere else? Like, what is like the, let's say the treatment experience? What what do you think would be like such a huge you know what would have such a huge effect on them maybe going through this whole journey? Like like you said happier in a certain way or having more courage more you know motivation I don't know like is there something that you see like could could give like a much bigger effect so I'm a, I'm a believer in medicine I'm never going to tell you oh I'm the first one who gets a headache I'll take something there, that's there for something to help me I have no issue with it mm-hmm. and I know that I got better and I'm here obviously a lot had to do with the medicine okay but the medicine won't I feel like won't do it because I was saying your mind controls your body like your your values can be low but if you're upbeat you'll feel better if you're down even if your values are good you just will feel worse like for me it was just like that when I was a little depressed I would throw up more I would feel bad Mm -hmm. worse and 
you know, it's just the way it is. So I think that besides from the medicine part, which I find obviously fundamental, I think one thing that it's necessary is just definitely a support system. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you're alone, it like this is something that you can't go through it alone. You need help. And you need to understand that. And you need to understand that that person will need help. But each person needs that help in different ways. Yeah. Some people like it more obvious. Some it's more about, you know, taking them to the doctor. Some it's more about being there and actually holding their hair while they're going through it. Like, And everybody will take that help in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so also as somebody is to understand that it's okay to be helped and not feel bad about it. In terms of the kid, it obviously, I find it, it's weird because in one way, they're so innocent that they don't know what they're missing. They don't know yet about the future. Mm-hmm. I mean, depending on the age, obviously, I'm talking about, you know, less than 10 years old. In that case, it was different. If we're talking about the little ones, they have no idea what is going on. They have no idea, you know, what what could happen if they overcame this or if they didn't they don't know about death they don't know so they that's where i feel like just those little things are so important like giving the happiness of bringing them their favorite disney character mm-hmm. to sing them a song or because they'll just be happy and all they need is their mom then later on so for them i feel in that way those little things of but bring them a smile to their face are very, are, you know, very helpful. And as a teenager, which you already are another stage of your life, I say it's always helpful to have something specific to look for. Like, for mm-hmm. example, for me, it was my party. So if you have a trip, if it's, you know, going to visit your family, if it's whatever it is that can give you like a point, like, okay, I want to get there. And even if it's, then don't make it too far and then make little uh, goals. Okay. I I'm looking forward to going to Disney. Okay. So I'll Mm -hmm. go through it one more day, two more weeks. And I feel that gives a lot of motivation. And then also, I guess would be what I told you is finding the good things that you want to fight for. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh yeah. I want to become a journalist. I have my family. I like for me, the worst thing I feel feeling bad was knowing that my parents were the ones who were suffering the most. Because as a parent, it's a whole other situation. And that is something to understand that this disease, that it's not only the person who suffers, it's the whole family. Mm-hmm. And for a parent, it's just a whole other experience. Because seeing your kid go through something when there's nothing you can do about it. I'm not a mom yet, but I feel like even just seeing my parents, I could understand it. Mm-hmm. And that is tough so for the parents also like I think to hear the perspective of a parent and to for the parents to get this help would be you know greatly appreciated for them to see what other people that's a great point because also it's like we often say that or I often say that but like we always have to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first mm-hmm. first but sometimes like we need to help those people to put it on themselves you know mm-hmm. and uh, not you know wait and just look for them to to do it eventually um, themselves so that's awesome and so uh, if I understood correctly then the second path of the foundation is also really looking at those things like creating this kind of atmosphere for um, right. whoever is, is going through that uh, treatment And the thing is that when we used to do the events, I think like it was more of a gift to us than even to them. Because just to see them, like how excited they would get for the simplest things and how happy we would make them was just amazing. And one of the things that motivated me after my five years where my hair had already grown back, I was already thinking I wanted to donate it. And then, but it was a little hard because it was like, okay, finally I have it back. <laughs> Uh, but I went to one of the events and one girl was like, oh my God, your hair is so pretty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, mine will grow. If I can make a beautiful wig with somebody with my hair for her to have that, because it makes a difference. Like for you to put in hair, you just mm-hmm. feel better. You feel like you're not that sick person anymore. Like it makes a huge difference. So 
that's something that I, I was able to, you know, make the decision to donate it because I, I encountered that little girl at the hospital. And that, that helped me do that, you know? And what would you say, um, so the foundation was then basically, like, let's say, founded around eight or nine years ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we, yeah, eight. Uh, a little bit, no, because I ten, she was there for, yeah, so it's like seven or eight mm -hmm. that we started. So how do you think, or what would you say, like, to what to what level were you to able to, like, grow this foundation in the path or in the, in the course of those seven years? Like, just for people to, you know, what I also always like is for people to put it into into perspective. What is possible in, like, seven years when you do this? Like, let's say for you, it's like next to your job. There's something that you dedicate time to, not daily, but still you, mm -hmm. you invest the time in it. So what was it possible for you to grow this into? So at first, it was just, again, I was like me making a little cake with my mom and bringing it. And then eventually we started learning, you know, how we could get help even from third parties that would... Mm -hmm. They just needed like that media, like that middle person to get it there. But they were, they were happy to help, they, mm -hmm. but they wouldn't have done it on themselves. So sometimes, seriously, you just need is to do the work of connecting one dot and the other. Because there's a bunch of people who are willing to help. They just maybe don't have the time or the idea or even thinking that they can help. Mm -hmm. So we were able to find that we were able to make, keep making like connections even more and more. And... You know, then we met with a actor and they dedicated a whole uh, um, theater show. All the profits were to us, to well, not to us, to the foundation to, them, yeah. to give away. And that was huge. Like we or this was the president uh, got in, met a famous Venezuelan comedian mm -hmm. later on. And he actually was touched by his story. So now every time on his show, he has one of our boxes that people donate to. Oh, and like we were able to start growing with it. And from just doing parties to then just buying clutches or paying one uh, MRI, we were able to pay one whole surgery Wow, of a kid. So, and the thing is that Venezuela is not, or we are not the perfect example just because there's a whole other situation going around yes. that affected the growth of the work that we wanted mm -hmm. to do. Um, we both had to live Venezuela. Pretty much everybody from the foundation had to live Venezuela. So that has, you know, permeated obviously and affected the work that we can do. But yet again, also from us being outside, we're sometimes able to help more than mm -hmm. if we were there. Like, when we were there, we created this, which was, like, our signature event. It was a little football tournament because we were all kids. So we wanted to make something that was also involving, you know, young people. So by making the tournament, you know, the money that they would pay and the gifts that we would get, we were able to raise a lot of money. When the situation started decreasing in Venezuela, it was more expensive to make the event than what we would get from mm. it. So it made no sense. Yes. So if we raise money here, it's a lot more than we can do there. So we're not able to be there every day, and but we're still able to get the help in different ways that we are finding to do so. And probably in seven, eight years, we would have grown a lot more if we would be there and the situation wasn't the, the situation that it is now in Venezuela. Yeah. That for sure. But who knows? I mean, if eventually, I mean, if you guys keep, let's say, growing and the situation in Venezuela eventually, like, ret like slowly returns to uh, some kind of normality, um, you know, maybe the impact that you're going to be able to do is going to be even much, much bigger. Because like you said, now, sometimes when you're outside of the, of the, the environment, it's even, mm -hmm. you know, there's even more possibilities to actually accumulate do, um don't um collect donations and everything so actually if people would like to you know support your donation uh, not your donation your foundation um how can they donate or how can they participate if they're interested is there some website they can visit I mean, is there some right now the thing is that our foundation is registered in venezuela mm -hmm. 
And that makes it a little harder to be able to raise money by the internet because then you would pretty much get is bolivares and you know with the exchange rate is this whole situation so normally right now what we do are more direct events mm -hmm. like i say like the comedian helps us or we do something people sometimes just they already know that we do and they come in in december they're like hey i want to donate to you because they already know and they want to do something mm -hmm. good and they'll do it like that is something that again has affected us from growing more and probably raising more because we had the limitation of it being registered there. Like, that is something that I want to do. I actually looked into it. Um, I found a lawyer, a law, a law firm, who's going to help us, you know, without us having to pay to create something here. Awesome. But, I mean, it was a little, at that point, it wasn't as easy as I, I we hoped for. And, like, it wasn't going to be able to work out, especially because I didn't have the papers yet. And, like, it's my next step. Like I also, that's something that I want to do. I'm always going to be uh, driven, like you were saying, to my passion to help cancer mm -hmm. people, let's say cancer patients, especially if they're kids, especially if they're in Venezuela. Because yeah. obviously I know how much they need it. So that will always be my, my drive to do. And that was the other point that you mentioned that I want to get to is that There's so many causes in the world. There's so many people who need help. And we all have ways to help, little or big. It's just a matter of finding what it is that motivates us or what is just the cause that we feel more uh, in touch with. Mm -hmm. Obviously, because I went through that, it's definitely that. And that is something that, again, that tumor that's, that I went through gave me. It was this very clear cause that I want to help. And sometimes as sad or difficult as it may sound, sometimes we need to go through those things to develop those passions and even to help those people. Like if I hadn't gone through that or the president of the foundation, Alexandra, hadn't gone through it, we wouldn't have helped this many kids that we have helped. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, you know, parents who have to go through another disease or people who lose their, their dogs or... They, whatever it is that you go through, yeah. sometimes we need to go through those things to be able to then help a bunch of other people. How many doctors who will probably weren't thinking of becoming doctors, but because they went through something difficult, they found the passion in it. Or scientists who became scientists because they want to find the cure for Alzheimer's because they saw their grandmother, you know, how as hard as it might sound, sometimes we need that to then be able to make all the better in the world and actually make a difference with something that we went through that was tough on us, one person, but that we can become it and turn it into a whole other better thing. I love that. And what would you say is now your biggest life goal after everything that you've, you know, been through, all the experiences that you've made? Because we, oh. we could still talk like another hour or yeah, two for with, every, sure. <laughs> with everything that, that you've done. But like, like after having made that experience and also, you know, I think one important point is you have seen what your work can, you know, really contribute or, um, yeah, if, what effect it can, you know, generate. Um, so... What would you say is your biggest life goal after all of that? What would you like to accomplish? Oh, many things, for sure. I mean, obviously, there's my personal goals that I have uh, many in terms of professionally and even personally, like I dream of being a mom. Mm -hmm. I dream of also having a successful career with what I was saying, I think that we can do a lot with the media. Either it is to inform, either it is to entertain. Sometimes entertainment is just as important as, you know, the medicine or even as informing of what's going on in, you know, the White House. Like, we need the information. I know it. I've seen what lack of information can do to you, to a society, and it's your worst enemy. And then also entertainment, as basic as it may sound, is so necessary. I lived it. Like, you know, to give that way of dreaming and showing in terms of my other passion which would be helping for sure it would be to either the situation in Venezuela changes to be able to keep going and growing the foundation for me 
I gotta admit, I love my country. I was fighting for it on the street as a as a teenager, you know, protesting. I was in the student movement on my university. The only reason I left was because I saw that I didn't have a job to aspire to because all the media had been. I didn't have a TV channel or a radio that I wanted to work because I know it was all being controlled and I didn't want to start my career going mm -hmm. against everything that I had learned. Mm -hmm. So, and I was able, I was lucky enough to have a way out. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can do that. And I understand also when you're a mom, you have three kids, you can't just leave your work, leave your work. And I admire those people who sometimes suffering, have to do stuff that they don't want to, but they're thinking even about other people, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's also to be admired of. And then either going with the same foundation, like for me, I probably wouldn't move back because now I'm engaged to a Brazilian. I've developed a life here. I have family here. So for me, it would be hard, not because I don't love my country. Like half of my heart is dedicated to Venezuela always. Yeah. Um, but either, you know, keep going up. And then also if I'm here, I want to make sure to take advantage of the opportunities that or what I can develop here to still help there. Mm -hmm. I got to admit, I'm always going to be drawn to help Venezuela. Yeah. Um, uh, so eventually, I definitely will want to create something here to be able to keep helping in a bigger and better way. Well, I think like if you if you already are looking for ways to f to start something f from the foundation perspective, there it's already the first step, right? And sometimes it's right. it's just the first step that we have to take, and then things will develop from there. And um, so, summing up like a little bit, what I like to always ask is like, if tomorrow was gonna be like let's say your last day, and yeah. if you were if you were leave to if you were to leave a message for your uh, younger self after everything that you've learned in life, what are like three nuggets of wisdom that you would leave her with that you would want her to know going through life that no matter what these three things, like, please always remember those. Uh, that just question made me like teary. -eyed. I don't know. Just thinking about everything. <laughs> I would say one uh, is no matter how bad things get, always turn around to think about all the other blessings or all the blessings that you actually have. Mm -hmm. um, and that would bring me to always be grateful about it. Always think that you have those and not only other people don't. It's just that, you know, be grateful about it and fight for those. Um I would say there's no dream too little and it's just a matter of you fighting for it and you can have it all. That thing about, oh, we can't have it all, I think it's definitely possible, for example, for a woman to have a job and and be a mom and either of them have to be affected by or like not affected you definitely have to you know deal with it but like my mom was always a working person and I never felt in any way that my mom was not there for me if anything I don't I you can ask my friends like I feel like my mom is like the most dedicated mom everywhere and she was an oral surgeon she was a teacher like have your own goals also I think as a woman um have your personal goals and never forget about your personal have your yeah your like family goals let's say if anything but then also never forget about your own because i think if you are happy and if you feel accomplished yourself you are able to take so much better care of the other people so i think like maybe like take care of yourself to then also be able to take care of others um, in terms of something practical, which is what I said about the beginning, like not so philosophically, what I said about the beginning is listen to your body. Mm. Like learn to know and to take the time to take care of you and to that just 
if there's something that you're feeling, pay attention to it and put health first. Health is the most important thing. Obviously, love, but if you don't have health, you won't be able either to receive or to give love because if you can't overcome it, then you're... So know that no matter what, you need to be healthy and take care of yourself. Even if you're so worried about others, if you're taking care of yourself, then you'll be able to take care of others and give love to others. So, and I think always find a passion. Find a passion, either if it's at work, even if it's at, at you know, a cost to, to help. And in terms of that, find what motivates you and help on that. Because if we all pull, you know, our little part, we can definitely make a difference. So that would be something about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the perfect ending. It's like if, if, if we all go and do something just a little bit, we all contribute to like a very great thing um, in this planet. So thank you so much, Ariana, for, your, for taking the time today, for sharing your story uh, in such, you know, honesty and, um, you know, letting us being part of, of the whole story. Um, so if people want to somehow contribute to, to your cause, um, maybe they can get in touch with you, see how, how uh, they can contribute and... Um, Is there maybe uh, some Instagram or something where they can contact you um, so people know where to find you? Um, sure. Not only me. I mean, me as a person. Yeah. I have my personal Instagram, which is Ori Perez Oso, O-R-I-P-E-R-E-Z-O. Um, but also the foundation has, we're on all social media and we take care of it by itself and even the mm -hmm. president will answer you directly and she'll be able, I mean, some people even send us messages asking for help if they need something specific that it's also a way to contact us. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can leave it, but Ser yes. Fuerte es mi destino, so which is a little hard to... <laughs> we, will, um, we will put the link in, put in the description ready. below. But And then even if it's asking me i'll tell you if we can give the help that you want to give or we can receive it or whatever it is i mean we don't want the help to get just through us mm -hmm. like we don't care about our foundation being the one delivering that help like of course we're we're just that middleman mm -hmm. so if there's a better middleman for you to get it go for it like it needs it doesn't need to be through us if anything i can leave you is that if This is something that motivated you even to just help kids with cancer, help Venezuela and the situation that you're going through. Like, there's plenty of ways to help. Even if it's not through us, we'll be happy to find a person who can deliver that help because what we care for is that help being delivered, not us being, you know, the one signing the check or anything. Yeah. So that would be something that whatever you guys need. And thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Time flew by. <laughs> I know. It always passes by so fast, and I'm so fascinated. Yeah. But So thank you so much again. And, um, yeah, people, if you want to help them grow the foundation, if you want to help improve the situation in Venezuela and help uh, kids with their treatment, um, just get in touch with Oriana, with uh, Alejandra, and uh, Ser Fuerte es tu destino, and uh, help those girls out. Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends, and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrivepodcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive.